Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the ruling class versus the peasants or the people, Biden's gas pump blues, communists to the rescue, job loss threat, East COVID humor, and COVID PPP billion dollar scam. Of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. Yesterday in the show, I had a friend join me, Rebecca Friedrichs, and she is the producer of a film that is going to be in theaters this coming Monday, one day only, and here in the United States of America, and her film is called Whose Children Are They? I want to urge you again at the start of the show to go to the website whosechildrenarethey.com, and you can just enter your zip code. It'll tell you theaters near you very profound movie about the way the public schools have seemed to take control, not just of your children's education, but of the decisions of what your children are taught, how they're taught, and really taking the position parents have no say. And when you understand more what's taught in the schools, uh, you, whether you are a grandparent, parent, uh, just out of college, wherever you're, whatever age you are, you're gonna wanna know that this is going on because it shapes America's future. I also yesterday though, because we did that yesterday, I didn't get off on telling you about a few things I wanted to share with you now. One was that this ties into my, I do have this first five topic about the ruling class versus the people. Hey, you're supposed to put in, Mr. Becker, the peasants crossed out, then the people. That was why. <laughs> I, I couldn't cross out the peasants. <laughs> oh, okay. Wouldn't let them cross out peasants. So anyway, ruling class versus the people. So I'll tell you very briefly, there was a meeting, um, which is an annual thing, the Sea Island Summit. Um, and this is a meeting um, in Sea Island, I think it's Georgia, uh, in which they have, which occurs annually, and they have leaders of the, wall, the big banks, the Wall Street interests, uh, major, major GOP uh, party figures. Uh, you know, Tea Party and MAGA people are not really welcome there, but it's a meeting at this Sea Island Summit of this kind of ruling class guru thing. Uh, in which they kind of try to shape out what is going to happen uh, in the next election cycle. Who should we get behind? Who's the most likely to win? How can we get so-and-so out of the race? How can we get so-and-so into the race? I mean, very much strategizing for the future Republican elections. As a friend of mine's mother used to say, put a comma there. Remember that thought. I'm going to tell you about two other things that happened in our life and then come back to that story. Uh, one was that over this past weekend, my husband and I had a very fun chance to go to a concert. Our, one of our kids, our adult kids, gave us for Christmas tickets to the Tim McGraw and Faith Hill concert. And this happened to be here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It was actually part of a rodeo. So there's this, I, you know, I grew up in New York, so I, I don't know a lot about rodeo, but I do know it's a huge thing here in Texas. And this is a rodeo competition that's gone on for a long period of time. This past Sunday was kind of the end of it, like the final thing of this big rodeo ongoing competition. And the middle of the competition on Sunday was a very special appearance by Faith Hill and Tim McGraw, who are fabulous country western singers. So we got these tickets for, from our son uh, for Christmas. We went to it on Sunday. And I'm, I want, the reason I'm raising it, it actually ties into what's happening um, on the, in this Sea Island Summit. 
When you look around, first of all, where this event was was at the American Airlines Center. Massive, massive place. You know, it's where the Cowboys play. Huge place, packed to the gills. Uh, I mean, just tons of people there. And for most of the families, as you look around these families, these are working class people. Many of them, you know, were probably ranchers or farmers or live somewhere more in the rural areas. Uh, and they are Americana salt of the earth. These people are dedicated to their families and to their faith, their freedom. Uh, you can just tell they exude this kind of, this, this overarching, overwhelming American goodness. They're, they're just heartland American people show up at this rodeo, bring their kids, watch the, the rodeo stars at all sorts of events, uh, which was really fun to watch. Um, and obviously the crowd had their favorites and people were cheering for the, someone they knew. But it was a massive, I mean, big, big football stadium event packed to the gills uh, and this rodeo event going on. And then Faith Hill um, performed um, and it was just, and Tim McGraw, and they were impossibly stellar. They were just so, so good. So at the end of the, when the concert ended, it was only about an hour or so that Faith Hill and Tim McGraw performed. Uh, we enjoyed them very much. And then we actually had another thing we had to get to, my husband and I did, so we got up to leave. Uh, and what's interesting was we'd parked really far away, like at least half a mile away. Um, and as we were walking out to go back to our car, we realized we were like the only people leaving. <laughs> I mean, everybody else was there. Yeah, they love Faith Hill and Tim McGraw and they love rodeo and they were there for their community, their family, their sport. And, and I just cannot capture in words uh, strongly enough how much just the, the, the feel, the aura of the, of the whole facility was people just upbeat, happy, love their families, love their freedom, love their faith. I mean, they're just down home, good hearted Americans. And then last night, the second little incident, before I get back to my story about the Sea Island Summit. So last night, I moderated a panel here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, and it wasn't, uh, you know, I often moderate panels for political candidates, especially if there's a GOP primary and there are, you know, numerous candidates in the, in the same primary. I will moderate that. And so I, um, I did that last night, but, it, but this wasn't Canada's last night. It was just two very respected figures in the conservative movement. Uh, one is Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who ran for governor of the state of Texas, his most recent primary cycle. We just had our primary here. I know you listen around the country and their primaries you know, spread out throughout the year. Ours happens, I think, in Texas to be the earliest in the nation. Pretty sure about that. So anyway, we already had our primary. Uh, he did not um, succeed in pushing the, and we have an incumbent Republican governor. So uh, so Alan um, West ran a great campaign, very very popular, and um, did not um, manage to get to a runoff. So he did not win. The other person who was in this panel was Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. And if you're thinking, I think I know that name. That's the guy. Excuse me. That's the guy who was in the military, he went to the Air Force Academy, he served in the Air Force, he became a commander in the Space Force, which is this you know, brilliant idea of President Trump's, which was to basically say, it's like the next frontier here in America, uh, in the world, and we all uh, need to be thinking in America about holding onto our place uh, in the frontier of space. And so we have the Space Force formed, and this gentleman, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, he was um, a commander in the Space Force. He wrote a book, called Irresistible Revolution, in which he's basically describing the Marxist takeover of America's military. And that book essentially argued that 
there is uh, obviously not a military Marxist takeover, not a communist attack, but, a, but an ideological Marxist assault on America's military. He gave details and examples. It's a very, very good book. He's been on the show numerous times. He spoke at my summit last year, this past year, um, in uh, 2021. Very, very good, very profound. The whole evening was wonderful. I mean, it was fun to be the moderator. We, of course, you know, we had fabulous uh, conversations about America's place in the world, uh, about what's occurring right now with Russia's incursion into the Ukraine, um, about Afghanistan and the message uh, America's abandonment of our forces in Afghanistan, uh, how our enemies perceive that, just many, many great discussions. And they both gave closing arguments at the end were truly, truly very, very moving about, because the last question was basically, you know, so, so what should Americans do who are concerned about the direction of our country? So it was a great, great event. They gave great summaries at the end about what they thought people should do. But I was looking around the room, that room too, uh, it's a big uh, meeting room. It's actually at the Glenn Beck Studios here in Dallas, the Mercury Studios. Really big meeting room, great crowd there. And these were also salt of the earth Americans. These are people though, who were there last night um, at this uh, forum where I moderated, uh, who are political, who are very involved in some way or another. Some of them probably worked on, the, on um, Alan West's campaign. Um, all of them were aware of who Lohmeyer was and they all wanna shake his hand, get their picture with him, with both of them really. And so it was a really great evening, but these people too, salt of the earth, you know, they don't have Harvard educations and they don't have uh, you know, Wall Street jobs but they're kind of like the, you know, just assault of the earth is perhaps an overused uh, phrase, but they're just, they're just common Americans. They want American policy. They want freedom. They want faith, freedom, family. They want the, 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 uh, all the Bill of Rights supported. And they look at America and they look what Biden's doing to America. And, and you're kind of, I mean, as many parents are saying, uh, patriots are saying, what, what in the world could be Biden's agenda? What could it be, given all the damage, the wrecking ball operation the Biden administration is as against the American people? That's what the Biden administration is doing, whether you look at tax policy, economic policy, uh, military policy, border policy, economic, every, every direction you look, including election integrity, the Biden administration is taking a wrecking ball to the constitutional idea of, of America. And actually, the, um, venue, the event last night was titled uh, defending the Republic, I think was the name of it, Defending the Republic. So anyway, get it. so keep those groups of people in mind, the rodeo people, the people at the event last night, and then think about what happens at this conversation at this uh, Sea Island Summit, which I will say the uh, people who attend it, many of them try very hard to not let people know they attend because it's seen very much as a ruling class ideology, ruling class thinkers, you know, they kind of sit around and they're, and, and they are very wealthy and they're very successful. And, and, you know, many of them made a lot of money. I'm not saying they all earned all the money but that they've made, but I'm also not saying they didn't. I mean, some of them are self-made in some way and some of them, you know, may have inherited positions or kind of waltzed into a position of, of very strong financial security. But the bottom line is, it's a bunch of very wealthy, powerful people sitting around and thinking they have a bigger and better view of what the future of America should be and which candidates belong in, in which races and which candidates should be ignored and should be or should be trampled or subtly attacked or undermined in some way so they can orchestrate the perpetuation of their places of power and control and wealth. That is the mission. The mission is not for them to impoverish themselves. And they would say, well, yeah, I'm trying to perpetuate the idea of you know, America the prosperous, the strong, and the free. That's what we're trying to do here is just to perpetuate that. So, you know, that's what we have to do is do some planning. 
And I want to make a couple points about this. I realize this is not exactly a first five. It's much longer than five. But I, I think it's important to setting the, kind of setting the table for the rest of our conversation. On the one hand, it is true, in every field of endeavor in life, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, an architect, a home builder, whatever you are, there are experienced people who've, you know, the, the doctor who's performed a, th a thousand brain surgeries ought to be providing guidance and assistance and advice and, and overseeing, you know, the younger surgeon just starting out. Same with the litigator, someone who's handled a thousand trial, uh, jury trials, probably it's a good thing to have that wisdom, that collected wisdom be passed along to people just starting out in the world of practicing law. Same thing in most arenas of life. And so these people who gather at Sea Island, you know, they might think, well, you know, and these are, by the way, the Mitch McConnells of the world, the people who are in the truly higher, very high echelons of American government. Um, this is sponsored, by the way, um, sponsored by the American Enterprise Institute, and uh, they actually call it their annual world forum, annual world forum, which I'll get into in a moment uh, about more of that, but or maybe not today, but another day I will. Anyway, they have kind of a, they try to have some of their attendees uh, not expose themselves, not say who they are, um, but they're certainly, um, you know, the ruling class elite type Republicans, Mitch McConnell, uh, Senator Tim Scott, Senator Susan Collins of Maine, a retiring Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, um, Maryland Governor um, Larry Hogan, uh, Jonah Goldberg, who used to be such a good commentator, has just lost his mind over Trump. But anyway, the point is, there is some value in people who have, you know, had a few more trips around the sun, learned a little more about how the economy works, learned a little more about how laws work and how passing some laws or some initiatives or ideas may sound good on paper, but they don't really work. I mean, they may be knowledgeable people in arenas like that. So it may be justified that they have some wisdom. But America was founded on the idea of the people. We, the people, are the sovereign. We, the people, are the sovereign, meaning the sovereign is not the monarchy as it was before we got our freedom from England. It's not King George or any other royal family. We, the people, are the sovereign. And in America, even the elected officials are not the sovereign. The we, the people idea is very profound in America's founding. So these people gathering at Sea Island would say, well, yeah, but you know, we're, we're just trying to help we, the people. We're trying to, you know, we're, we have wisdom to bring. We have wisdom to share. We understand better how things work. That's how they see themselves. But unfortunately, what has developed, and this I'll take it right down to a very granular, granular level right here in Dallas County, where I live, Dallas, Texas, uh, a battle sometimes between the kind of ruling class establishment that tries to figure out what is the best thing, who is the best candidate, who's most likely to win, who do we like, who will perpetuate the policies we like. And sometimes that ruling class is very much at odds with the people. The people, meaning not, and I, I want, to, want to avoid even using words like grassroots or far right, far left, just the people, the American people who are indeed the sovereign in this country. So first point in this first five is I don't know, and I, I actually seriously doubt that the people attending the Sea Island Summit, the American Enterprise Institute Sea Island Summit, I don't think they spend a lot of time thinking about the kind of people who are at the rodeo on Sunday or at this event last night, listening to Alan West and Matthew Lohmeyer. 
I don't think so. They're thinking big grand terms of, you know, keeping America's place and stability in the world, keeping the vision the world has for America. These people, I can guarantee you, would have been out of their minds. They were out of their minds back in 2016 when it appeared obvious or very likely that Donald Trump was going to be the GOP nominee. You know, these people want to shape the GOP side. They want to pick someone, you know, palatable. I don't even know who they like, probably Jeb Bush. I don't know. But anyway, this idea that what happens in these ruling class meetings and enclaves should be accepted by the people is really becoming a, a, um, it's a problem bubbling to the surface. But I'll tell you about very briefly in Dallas County, we will be having uh, at some point in the next few weeks, probably have one or more guests in studio talking about this, but what's happened in Dallas County, and this is a microcosm of what happens all over America, a microcosm of what happens all over America, which is that perhaps very well-intentioned and that genuinely conservative as opposed to liberal, GOP ruling class orchestrates a decision and chooses zeros in on a candidate and they really don't want to have the people or the peasants as I tried to put in the caption but Mr. Becker said his software wouldn't let him do that. I tried to title this segment um, the ruling class versus the peasants or the cross out then people but I guess his software wouldn't allow that. Anyway, there's a difference whether you look at the, va the vast number of voters in America as the peasants or the people. And I think, even though they may not use that term, these, these people who meet at Sea Island, this American Enterprise World Forum, these are the kind of the, the big thinkers who think they are smarter and they do know better and they're gonna figure out how to manipulate the people into seeing things their way. So down to Dallas County, we have many, many dedicated people who work hard in Dallas County to bring about uh, good elections, bring about good candidates, support candidates, and we, and we have, as you have to have, we have a, a Republican Party establishment. Well, in this most recent primary, which we just had uh, last week, we did have uh, a candidate for uh, a seat called county judge. It's kind of like, you know, the mayor of a city is the county judge of a county. Here in Texas, I don't know what they call it other places, but in Texas, the highest single executive is in the county is a county judge and there is a um, and it's like being the mayor of a city but you're in charge of the county and the county judge primary on the republican side um, got pretty intense there was a person who had been um, identified by the party as a very viable candidate and very uh, likely with all the factors you weigh in of ethnicity and what all you know re resume whatever other factors you did this this is our guy and there was a grassroots candidate and as it turned out in this race, in this primary, the grassroots person really caught on with, with many, many voters. And I, it's very easy for people, and some people did it in the news outlets here in Dallas, tried to characterize the people who got behind this grassroots challenger as extremists. Well, you know what? When you get whatever it finally was, 68% of the vote I think she got, the, the grassroots, the, you know, the non-party chosen person, the person who was just running for county judge uh, and had the support of so many people, uh, I don't think you get to call you know, 68 or 70% of the Dallas GOP voting base extremists. That, that is not right. I mean, you know, and it's just a really important point to keep in mind, back up into my theme of this first five, there is a need for people who are wise and are 
uh, experience in politics and do care deeply and do understand the ideological differences between conservatives and liberals. And they do see the big picture in America and how we're losing our liberty. There's a great and wonderful role for leaders in the Republican Party to be leaders, to step up, to help organize, to find candidates. But that, you know, how you view the rest of the people who are the voters, are they the peasants or are they the people, is a really big question. Because if you're just thinking of everybody, of the voting base you need to win anything as peasants who are to be manipulated into seeing things your way, uh, which in many cases seems to happen, uh, then the, you really end up with a, a bit of tumult, more than a little bit of tumult, uh, when you have an election like we had here in Dallas County. We had the, the not just surprise, squeak by one point, uh, surprise victory in a close race of this uh, kind of more grassroots supported person. And even grassroots, uh, people try to use that term to say, oh, the great, crazy grassroots far right. These are just, the, these are the people who got behind this candidate. These are the kind of people who were at the Faith Hill um, Tim McGraw concert. These are the kind of people who were at the event last night where Alan West and Matthew Lohmeyer spoke. Salt of the earth, straight arrow, hardworking, self-supporting, America-loving people. That was the kind of people who brought out this victory here in Dallas County. And I'm recounting this story again. I know that people around the country and even around the world listen to this show. I love, by the way, I want to thank the people who send me emails from countries like Venezuela um, and, and all over Europe and who subscribe to the newsletter from around the world, from Australia, New Zealand. I thank every single one of you for subscribing to our newsletter. I really do. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, but what I'm describing is not just the kind of local folksy news about Dallas County. It's a phenomenon happening around the world politically, which is, do we have the people in a country like America, we agree with ourselves at the founding, that we the people are the sovereign. And even though we need the elders, like the elders in any society can be helpful. They can give advice. They can help younger people understand things better. The elders in the practice of law, the practice of medicine, many other careers, the elders help out the newbies. That's healthy and normal. But if you have the elders thinking the newbies are the peasants to be manipulated versus the people to be listened to who ultimately hold the sovereign power, if you don't understand that, if you forget, if you forget as a leader that the people hold the power, then you really end up in a troublesome uh, place politically where you don't have the party uh, hooked uh, all lined up behind whoever was a victory in a primary. We'll be talking more about this Dallas County judge race because it's, uh, you may think is a little off in the weeds, but I'm telling you, it's exactly what's happening in races around the country. And this is really the fervor that Donald Trump brought out, the re-engaged populist love of America, you know, heartland America, people who would go to that rodeo, go to that Faith Hill Tim McGraw concert, go to that event last night, listen to these profound, deep, discussions we had last night at this event in Dallas, and those people love America, and they want to think they're a ruling class, even though they may be, you need people to run things, they want to understand that at the end of the day, we still are a country rooted in this we the people idea, and the we the people, when they've made a choice, you need to have everyone who's, who wants to be part of the movement on the, at all on the right-hand side of the aisle, whether you want to call it Republicans or conservatives or whatever name you give it to, the people who still want to maintain America, you've all got to come together at this point, uh, at every point after a primary ends. Because what you had, back to Donald Trump, what you had with Donald Trump was, 
reigniting this passion for America, love of America, belief in the country, belief in the goodness of our military, the goodness of our ideas, of our founding, the importance of having a border, the goodness and rightness of supporting capitalism and freedom and free markets, all that fervor Donald Trump instilled in people, that really, he did not teach people to change their thinking. He awakened people, many people, who had those ideas uh, either at the top of mind and had been waiting for a candidate to say them, or people who heard him speak for the first time, didn't think much about politics and thought, yeah, that guy, I want that guy. I want someone who understands and speaks out for the common man. Because this is really among the many battles we face in the world today is whether or not the common man, the, the everyday American, has the opportunity still in America, as they're supposed to, to participate in this process, a process that's grown out of and rooted in the Constitution and the Declaration that gave power to we, the people. Okay, my very fine friends, that was a 25-minute first five, but I just, obviously on my heart, wanted to get it out. Uh, for our, I will tell you that uh, we have our radio listeners who are going to go off to a break at the bottom of the hour. So in just a few minutes, our radio listeners are going off to a break. If you're listening on radio, I'll make sure you know that my show is called America Can We Talk. My website is americacanwetalk.org. My name is Debbie Georgiatis. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. You can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. And at that website, if you love the show, you love what you're hearing, you'd like to support it, at that website, you can subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. Hit that subscribe button. I've never shared that email list and I never would. I send an email out once a week to our listeners. You can do the newsletter subscribing there. You can also become a donor and, and what you can really help this show stay live, stay active, stay growing. Uh, we love and appreciate any donations. You hit that donation button. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Uh, and you can also join America Can We Talk. We've now made it available on our website, America Can We Talk. You can join for merely $50, a year at America Can We Talk. And that entitles you to discounts on our, first of all, it's a, the main reason to join America Can We Talk is to support this show. I would so appreciate that, but it also gives you the right uh, to get discounted prices on our upcoming summits. We have our big fall annual summit on October 15th. We have spring summits coming up. We also have products coming. All, all to say, the, among the, the main value of joining is to support this show, but if you join, you also get discounts on those uh, events, which will, they will just make you feel, you'll, they'll remind you again how good America is, how important America is, and, how, and, make, and have you join this family, uh, this America Can We Talk family of supporters for this show. I also, before we go off to our little uh, break at the bottom of the hour for our radio listeners, want to tell you two other ways, very simple ways, if you want to support this show. One is is that I, if you ever have looked at the products at MyPillow, the website MyPillow, uh, I wanted to encourage you, MyPillow.com, and you can go to MyPillow.com, and there are fabulous high-quality products, towels, sheets, bathrobes, slippers, and of course, pillows, and they're all, I can just guarantee you from personal knowledge, very high quality, if you go to MyPillow.com, you can make any size order you'd like, and then you can, at the end, use a promo code, Debbie G, D-E-B-B-I-E-G, Debbie G, 
and at the put that in for your promo code and you will get up to 66% off on your entire purchase. I can't urge you strongly enough. Use that's a great way to reward yourself with high quality, very well priced, uh, you know, reasonably priced uh, uh, goods that you will actually enjoy and use. And also I get a small donation to my show. Also on out to the other way you can support the show is there's a product that I want to ask Mr. Becker to put this slide up. There's a drink called Hydro Shot. And it is a, I drink a can of this every single morning. They have a website, H2, the numeral 2, Bev, B-E-V.com, H2Bev. Again, use the promo code DebbieG, D-E-B-B-I-E-G. Get 10% off your order. Hydro Shot is a nitric oxide boost. It's a drink in a can. You can't get it anywhere else except online. And put in DebbieG, you get 10% off your order. This is a, this drink includes, includes, excuse me, increases your performance, your endurance, your focus. Great product. Order that. If, and again, if you're on radio, come back after a three-minute break. Okay, my friends, I went way, way over in the first five. I kind of made it the first 25, but hey, you know what? It's my show. That's right. My show, I can do that. Um, I was going to do in this first half uh, something about climate change, and I think I will actually, um, uh, I will start this climate change discussion, uh, and then when our listeners on radio come back, I'll fill them in. But this is a, I want to urge you to think about where we are in this um, in, in this battle over climate change and battle over increasing gas. I, I, you see, I titled the segment, Biden's Gas Pump Blues, Communists to the Rescue. And I want you to think about what's happening uh, in this arena of uh, the gas prices. You know, many voters, like the people at the rodeo, the people at the event last night, you know, they may not be people who are going to study, you know, world history and ideology and the new world order, what Klaus Schwab said and, you know, what all these different uh, people who are, you know, butting heads now in this battle over maintaining the freedom and individuality of nation states, of the, the nationhood of America uh, versus those who are pushing toward a more globalist World Economic Forum dominated type socialist government. It's a globalist versus a people who still believe in the individual identity of nations. That, that's the big overarching battle. But lots of people, the rodeo people, the concert people, the people at the event last night, they aren't gonna study this ideology, but they're gonna look at, at you know, real down to the, down to the you know, here's my wallet issues. Why is my gas, why are my gas prices so high? I think the gas prices now in America, they have hit $7 in some places, $7 a gallon, which is actually one of the uh, Donald Trump comments he made kind of offhand. Uh, he made a very quick offhand comment um, about Biden will probably get $7 gas and we're there in some places. In Texas, gas prices have gone up. And so the gas prices going up uh, are due to a variety of factors. What's happening right now is the Biden administration is trying to tell America, well, it's not my fault that gas prices are going up. Uh, it's, and he's just trying to point the finger somewhere else. I mean, I'm not causing gas prices to go up. I mean, look at Russia, look at, and he's pointing his finger around the world. So I wanna focus on that for a minute because it really is accurate and important to understand. Gas prices, they, they do have a, a, a series of factors that play into what the price at the pump is. It's not just an overnight switch, but the prices at the pump are based by the, the uh, companies that have to you know, supply the gasoline, supply the oil made in the gasoline, that be it your uh, gas pump. Um, those companies have to take into account supply chain. When are they going to get more oil in? How much is it going to cost? How, how much is available? So they're basing their prices on the factors that they know of. So it is very complex. 
But I, but the, actually, I'm going to say welcome back to our radio listeners. And I want to tell you in this next half an hour, I'm going to try. I guess I'm not going to get to my other co- my topic today about the COVID dollars. I do want to hit this COVID dollars. I'll probably hit it tomorrow um, because I'm not going to get to it today. But um, I, I had another segment planned talking to you about. I did. I do political. Uh, analysis for uh, news shows. So I did political analysis this morning for a station uh, here in Texas. It was talking about, you know, the Biden administration is jumping in all of a sudden saying, hey, you know, um, we have this massive, massive uh, 100 billion. I'm just teasing the story for tomorrow. Biden team announced at, he, Biden announced at the State of the Union that, you know, the sheriff's back in town and we're going to jump on our horse and we're going to get after all these people who, essentially got COVID money. They got COVID money from the government um, fraudulently. And they're talking about to the tune of, please listen to this number, 100 billion, B as in Biden, billion dollars of fraud. This isn't that the entire COVID relief package cost 100 billion. This is just the fraud part, just the part they know that people fraudulently requested that PPP money for their businesses, claiming to have businesses, claiming they had a bunch of businesses and, oh yeah, we're all, because of COVID, we're shut down, we need to send us money. I'm gonna reserve that story for tomorrow because it's important to understand how consequential this was, how consequential it was that the Biden team is announcing as a $100 billion theft from, uh, really ultimately from the taxpayers of America, but also how farcical it is farcical that the Biden team is trying to act like they are the new sheriff in town uh, when it's a, a, a astonishing, I mean, almost unspeakable level of irresponsible, wasteful spending based on COVID. This is just one portion of it, but I'm going to say the rest of that story for tomorrow. I'm just going to talk to you about the gas pump blues and what, uh, what the Biden team are doing about that. So I want to start with, and I want it, we're going to be talking more about the Green New Deal sometime we get to it, but I want to share some facts with you because keep in mind, the only reason the Biden administration and other left-wing entities give for the fact that they are trying to uh, reduce the amount of oil and gas that is, is used in this country, the only reason that they're trying to say fossil fuels are bad, we got to stop using it, uh, stop using them, you know, move to green energy, there'll be millions of green new energy jobs, always a farce. But the premise of all of this, the premise of climate change is that CO2, CO2 is filling the atmosphere and may just kill us all. I mean, it's so dangerous to have an increased amount, or increased percentage level of CO2 in the environment and the environmentalists go wild trying to uh, convince you of that. And I wanna tell you some facts before we get to what Biden is doing uh, with respect to the um, gas pump and supply of oil, Russia, Venezuela, please keep these facts in mind. These facts came from no less than the, um, from NASA's website. Okay, so remember, the reason we do all of this, cutting out oil production, needing to rely, because we cut out oil production in America, needing to rely on Russia, you know, all this wild expenditure on windmills and such is because of the threat of CO2. So please listen to these facts. I may even make a little display out of this tomorrow for you. So when you, and I want you to really think about this, from NASA's website, the earth, excuse me, the air, the air in the earth's atmosphere is made up of approximately 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen. 
Again, the air, the Earth's atmosphere, is made up of approximately 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen. So those two numbers, 78 and 21, nitrogen and oxygen, add up to 99. So 99% of the Earth's atmosphere is nitrogen and oxygen. That other 1% has small amounts of other gases, such as carbon dioxide, neon, and hydrogen. So the 99% of heat-trapping atmospheric gases, I mean, if you say the atmosphere is trapping heat, 98% of it, of the 99% uh, of the entire atmosphere, again, made up of nitrogen and oxygen, is only 1% of other trace elements, including CO2. Within those, within those, well, how much of the CO2 is in, I mean, there, there's, I, I really want you to think about these figures when you recognize the lunatic levels we go to to fight climate change. Okay, so only 1% of all other trace elements. The answer of how much CO2 is in our atmosphere is that it equals only four parts so four, I mean, they say four parts over 10,000 parts. So four over 10,000, you know, two over, I mean, it's virtually nothing in terms of how much um, CO2 is in our atmosphere. The answer is, so, and then how much CO2 is in the atmosphere prior to the Industrial Revolution? So right now, right now, we have four parts per 10,000 in our atmosphere that is CO2. Well, how much was there CO2 in the atmosphere before the Industrial Revolution? Because they're blaming, of course, the Industrial Revolution, the development of cars and combustible engines on this, this massive, scary increase in CO2. So right now, CO2, four parts per 10,000. How much was in the atmosphere before the Industrial Revolution? Three parts per 10,000. So before any of the cars, engines, everything we associate with modern life came along was only three parts instead of four parts. So since the Industrial Revolution, we've added exactly one part per CO2 per 10,000 parts of other heat-trapping gases. In addition, information they've gained by boring, B-O-R-I-N-G, drilling straight down into the, um, into the um, Arctic. They, they dig way, way down in the polar ice caps because there they have ice trapped from years past, centuries past, millennia past. They can, so they can, they can get that sample to understand what it is, what CO2 used to be, at what levels it used to be. So let's learn about that. So what else do we know from these borings? They know about this, um, this difference of before the Industrial Revolution just because they're doing these borings into the polar ice cap. So. What else we know from the same borings? We know that at one time, at one time in Earth's history, long before the Industrial Revolution was even a twinkle in the eye of anybody, we know that one time in Earth's history, CO2 was as high as 227 parts per 10,000. So right now we're fretting, we're changing everything about life for a distinction between three parts versus four parts per 10,000 of CO2, and yet at some point in history, before man could possibly be blamed for doing anything to the environment, there were periods in the Earth's history when the CO2 level was 227 parts per 10,000. We also know, by the way, CO2 is a vital ingredient for life on Earth to survive. If we didn't have CO2, the Earth would not survive. The level below which life on Earth becomes dangerous is 1.75. 
So life, according to the NASA website, life would not exist on Earth if the CO2 went below 1.75 parts per 10,000. On top of that, even now we have this three parts to four part movement of CO2 per 10,000 parts in our atmosphere. Not all of that addition of one part is due to human activity. The addition of CO2, the pouring into the environment of CO2, comes from forest fires, volcanoes, the ocean, as well as man's burning of fossil fuels. Very, very hard for scientists to quantify what percentage of that minute growth in CO2 levels between three parts per 10,000 and four parts per 10,000 could possibly be attributed narrowly to fossil fuels as opposed to being attributed, contributed to, attributed to forest fires, volcanoes, the ocean. Um, very, very hard, but, there's, but the most estimates put man's contribution somewhere in the range of 10% of that 1% growth, meaning every, the vast majority of the additional CO2 in the environment between three parts and four parts comes from naturally occurring things. The reason I'm sharing you with all of this with you is that we have lived under, and we've talked about in this show many other times, you kind of live under this, this endless dedication to uh, emergency and, and fear-mongering coming out of anti-American, anti-freedom leftists who are forever creating a new crisis, and whether it is climate change or now they have it is critical race theory and systemic racism, institutional racism, whatever it is, the left uses some factor to instill fear and outrage in the people, and always what it results in is giving the left more power to act like the people at Sea Island, Georgia, and every place else, which is to meet and confer and find ways to control your life and limit your freedom. So I'm gonna, um, when you ask, by the way, a friend of mine who collected this data was telling me that he often confronts people who are strong environmentalists saying, well, what's your answer to this? And what difference, they don't even know this data. This data doesn't get shared because climate, the, the real climate alarmists will never debate it. They will never debate. But I don't know, let's go back now to Joe Biden before we lose all of our time today. Uh, this, show, this show wasn't going as planned for today, but you know, I don't really care. I always get back, you know, it's my show. I am here to talk about saving America. That's all I care about. I'm not even here to talk about country music concerts. Um, I'm not here to talk about fashion, style, sports. I just want to talk about saving America. One way that one aspect of saving America must include having people wake up to the fact that in many ways we are being manipulated by climate alarmism to make radical changes which will result in the loss of your freedom. Understand climate change is always, always pushing toward the idea that you don't really need your car, that you ought to go with public transportation, that you ought to go electric, even everyone knows electric cars are you know, feeble in their very beginnings and not something of, of uh, reliable use and yet I'm gonna tell you right now if you in fact if you were listening to my show last week I think last Monday or Tuesday Katie Hopkins happened to be in town and she was talking about she's a Brit well, a British woman she was talking about in the UK you can already see it coming they're not gonna be able to own cars in the UK because the whole environmental movement has pushed them toward making it harder harder to own a car harder to harder for, to find a place to get uh, pet, as she calls it petrol fuel um, is too expensive to buy the the forces that love to orchestrate everything in your life certainly see climate change as one of them including taking away your right to uh, freely drive around so where we are right now so we had you know Biden came into office day one 
one, uh, day one of his new presidency, uh, he who occupies the White House, um, ordered the Keystone Pipeline blocked, the Keystone XL Pipeline. Now, many people on the left will say, oh, for crying out loud, you know, that is so ridiculous. It's not like it was full of gasoline, that pipeline full of gasoline or would ever be full of gasoline to be used in your car. And so, you know, so what if he did that? It doesn't make any difference at all. Environmentalists always fight against development of fossil fuels. And they, so they mock people who are concerned about whether or not Biden really changed anything by shutting down the Keystone Pipeline. But again, going back to what I was saying earlier, the price you pay at the pump, the, the companies that have to make, the factor in everything they know about future supply, the cost of future supply, the ability to transport the supply of oil. If everything is going to cost more or be cut off, they're going to price their product to maintain themselves staying in business. And also, I'm kicking myself by not, by not I didn't remember, there was a great, I didn't bring it today, but there was a great article about how much of the price at the pump is not actually going to the pockets of the oil company executives or their shareholders. It's going to the pockets of, especially in America, left-wing Democrat city and state governments who apply tax onto the price of a, of a gallon of gas at the pump. The, the left will always try to say, oh, well, gas is $7 a gallon. I'm going to investigate. You know, they're always going to go investigate the oil companies, never pointing out the vast majority of the increase is going to taxes uh, that, are, that are, you are, don't notice when you pay the, at the pump. You don't notice which portion of your $7 uh, per gallon gas bill is going to the, uh, tax, the people who collect taxes. But I'm telling you, it's a huge portion. So anyway. Day one, Biden blocks the pipeline. Um, he also, uh, day one, uh, urged, announced that he was going to cut back on, uh, uh, not ban, but cut back on, uh, impose higher fees for oil, gas leasing, and federal land. Uh, so he's making it more expensive for gas companies, oil companies, to extract the oil. So if it's more expensive, again, they factor in, this is going to count toward the end of the day, how much uh, people pay for gas. And then you have Biden already tapping into America's uh, oil reserves. And I will remind you, the oil reserves, strategic oil reserves, were really not supposed to be there because the government cracked down on oil production, on energy production, at forcing the government to then tap into oil reserves. I mean, the oil reserves are for like real emergencies. These are Democrat environmentalist extremists concocted non-emergencies, but yet you have the Biden team tapping into those oil reserves, costing America more money at the gas pump every day. So given we're now in this watching this battle, um, I'm trying to watch the clock at the end of the hour. Um, I think I, yes, I, um, no, I have my time. I'm sorry, I'm trying to watch for our radio audience, make sure I don't miss a chance to tell them uh, to sign them off, but we're fine. Okay, so now we have, and we didn't really talk about Ukraine today and Russia. There's so much going on with that. I wish you all could have been there last night at this really wonderful forum I did, which I was moderating with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, uh, who just ran for US, uh, for state governor in Texas, also has uh, been the chair of the state GOP, uh, and Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, uh, who is a hero writing a book exposing how Marxism has invaded America's military. Great discussion about the extremely complex kind of geopolitical forces at work in this battle between Russia and the Ukraine and essentially how you know Russia has been very standing up Russia invaded Ukraine and that is bad and innocent Russian innocent Ukrainians are suffering and that is bad however 
Russia has stood up strong against this whole notion of a one world government, socialist, new, new world order, you know, globalism. Russia is saying, no, Mother Russia, we're, we're not playing that game. We're not going to be part of the whole um, effort to bring, you know, to collapse nation states. Biden is happily, by the way, on the behalf of America, happily supporting that effort to you know, diminish America's place and relevance. That is why he's taking a wrecking ball to the country of America, because he and his ilk love this idea of the New World Order. But back to Ukraine and Russia. So, you know, Putin's been saying all along, you know, we're not doing that. And then you, the forces behind the Ukraine, uh, m much complexity behind what's occurring in the Ukraine. But largely the globalists in the world, the ones who support New World Order type government, uh, governance and the ending of nation states, they're all getting behind Ukraine, and including George Soros, urging uh, the countries of the world to get behind Ukraine and push Russia back. Ukraine itself, a very unique country, I'll get more on this tomorrow, but Ukraine itself, a very... Uh, unique and hard to understand country because it is a country where it is the, the money laundering capital of the world. Many of the world's, I mean, the, you know, the Biden, just ask the Biden family all about the uh, Ukraine, but you know, the Biden family, Hunter Biden making whatever it was, $50,000 a month to sit at the board of Burisma and he knew absolutely nothing about anything about Burisma's business. So you have the Ukraine kind of the viewed as a real um, source, a cauldron of money laundering from many international forces. And many people concerned, even though the Ukrainian citizens are suffering, and I, I wish we could rescue them all, I don't like that, but you don't want to embolden Ukraine and the way they see the world and their uh, support of this money laundering, uber ruling elite type people laundering money through that country. So very complex situation. But back to what I'm talking about here. So in the middle of this, of the, all of this, here America is trying to take action against Putin, you know, calling for uh, certain steps to be taken against Putin in all sorts of industries, you know, canceling credit cards and McDonald's is shutting down there and just all sorts of businesses trying to punish Russia, which really just punish the innocent Russian citizens who have nothing to do with what Putin is doing. Um, but you have that effort. And yet at the same time, because America, which was, I shall remind you, energy self-sufficient, Energy self-sufficient at the end of the pre of President Trump's term. And this was not like 20 years ago. We're talking a year and a half ago. America was energy self-sufficient. And now we have to import oil from Russia. And because so much clamoring arose in Washington saying, what in the world are we doing, Biden? Well, we're shutting down the Keystone Pipeline. We're shutting down. We're making drilling harder and more expensive on federal lands. And so we don't have enough you know, natural, we don't have enough oil for America's needs. So we're importing oil from Russia. And so Biden trying to appear consistent or whoever's advising him, trying to help him appear consistent says, oh yeah, yeah, we're, no more importing from Russia. You know, bad, 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 we don't want to help Russia. And then he sends his envoys, his, you know, lackeys down to Venezuela to see if we can buy oil from them, buy oil from them, Venezuela the country we used to harp on quite a bit on this show because it was such a, such a great example of how quickly a country can tumble from abundance, prosperity, stability, uh, productivity, a, a prosperous nation. Venezuela was doing great until they fell into the trap of electing socialists who ran on exactly the same platform that today's Democrat Party runs on.
You got to realize that Venezuelans, the, the people who actually took Venezuela down from being, it was like in 1999, I think was the election of Hugo Chavez. I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was 1999. So he's, you know, taking over Venezuela, destroying prosperity, destroying the whole fabric of a growing, uh, robust country and bringing it to the poverty that the world was watching as Venezuela collapsed under Chavez and then um, later under, under um, well, the next guy was named and that's eluding me at the moment. But anyway, in Venezuela, you had people impoverished, starving, literally breaking into zoos and killing zoo animals to eat them because they were starving to death. This is what socialism brings. It is the reality of socialism. In any case, this is where Biden is now sending his envoys down to Venezuela to see if we can buy oil from them. So we're banning Russia, banning Russian oil, and we're gonna try to buy it from Russian ally, fellow socialist, uh, fellow to be the socialist in America and fellow to the way Putin really thinks, Venezuela. So that's, that's our plan. Instead of facing the reality that we don't need to be cutting back, we don't need to be uh, you know, fighting this massive, non-alarming CO2 growth in our environment. When you really understand those facts, you're like, why are we even on the mission of, of just you know, ending people's freedom and ending their ability to travel freely, to live in freedom over a problem that has been hyped by the left and in many, many ways misled the American people. Um, there's a couple of points about climate um, stuff I wanna make and then, then one other point, then we gotta wrap up and close up. But early on in the whole climate uh, alarmism agenda, uh, there was a quote that was attributed to, um, I think President Obama kind of made it famous, uh, whatever it was, 99% or 77% of the world's uh, you know, uh, climate, uh, climate experts agree that climate change is a serious, you know, man-caused global warming, and then they had to change the climate change because the world wasn't really warming after all. 77%, whatever the percentage was that, that Obama said, uh, was coming, uh, was that all the climate scientists agree, the vast majority agree. And what he was, if someone, uh, one of my listeners who, who texts me, if you want to tell me what that quote was that Obama had that percentage, but it was basically the idea that everybody knows, of course, man-caused climate change is just, you know, the vast majority of climate scientists are in agreement, uh, and, you know, this is where we are, and we've all got to fight. We've got to fight climate change. It's horrific. Everyone agrees. Don't listen to these people questioning it. So Obama kind of set the tone, and the climate alarmism, you know, just, you know, cat was out of the bag, horse out of the barn, running wild, and the climate... Uh, actual climate scientists, yeah, cli uh, Obama said 97% of climate scientists agree. And when people dug in to understand why in the world he thought 97% of climate scientists agree, they discovered it was a complete falsity, was not true, was a fabrication. It was an extrapolation of a, a tiny little group of people at some little meeting. And, and even those, when you dug into the ones who, who said, yeah, I think it's a problem, most of them said it's not really a big problem. But Obama seized on the opportunity to create the, the you know, Marxist leftist that he was and is, Obama seized on the opportunity to create climate change as the next vehicle, the next way in which leftists in this world could seize power away from the people. I went through all this today to say that we're going to wrap up the show very quickly here, but to say it's very important to understand all of the squirming around we're doing is all premised on this, this commitment to fighting CO2 in the atmosphere, which is 
who has been much higher in times before mankind was ever even around on Earth, and at this point, it's only a tiny percentage of man's activity that contributes to the CO2 level, which everyone's screaming about. For our radio listeners, I can see you're about to go off. Again, this is Debbie Georgiatis. My show is America Can We Talk. Our website is americacanwetalk.org. Please tune in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to this show. I can't wait to talk to you tomorrow. And I'll talk to you um, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon. So for the rest of you, we, at the close of the show, um, I, will, I want to say one more thing about climate stuff, and then we'll get to the, and we're going to leave off, Mr. Becker, the final slide, since I didn't, I didn't even get to the whole COVID money thing, which is a whole other story we'll have to hit tomorrow. But I want to say in closing up this um, discussion on climate, everybody cares about clean air. Everybody cares about clean water. Everybody wants a safe environment. Everybody loves new industries, trying windmills and solar panels and electric cars. Ingenuity is a great thing. Progress is a great thing. The left uses the fear they have engendered over false information and false alarmism about climate change as a means of taking away your freedom. Recognizing it, the sooner you recognize it, the sooner you understand the agenda, the sooner and better equipped you are to fight it, to say no, to resist. Because where we are, the left is very far on the path of thinking. They've got most people on board agreeing with them that pretty much anything they take away from you, any freedom they take away from you, is justified because of climate change. Don't buy it. We close the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show, ruling class versus, oh, there we go, the peasants people. That's how I was trying to have it show. Anyway, Sea Island GOP gathering without Trump highlights ruling class mentality, planning the people's future, who shall hold office, who shall not. This goes on with both parties and at all levels. There's nothing wrong with experienced people engaging in planning for the future, but the elitist condescension towards Main Street Americans exhibited at Sea Island and other party gatherings has become offensive. MAGA patriots have had enough. Free, fair, and secure elections will shake up the leadership of America. Fix election fraud. That's my new mantra. We're going to talk about that a lot more on this show. Biden's gas pump blues, communists to the rescue. Biden blocks Russian oil after nixing Keystone Pipeline and using strategic reserves, but won't open American oil industry, going to socialist Venezuela, and I didn't get to this one, and Islamist Iran for oil. Since when is oil from Venezuela or Iran more climate friendly than U.S. oil? And this, by the way, Mr. Becker, is the last slide I'm going to do. This is a huge Main Street American issue. Gas prices going to $10 plus per gallon are enormously destructive to the family budget. Biden's oil policy makes no sense whatsoever, except as purposeful activity by the radical left and the climate change cultists to destroy America. Americans are almost 100% red-pilled. What will be next? And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Tomorrow I have an expert coming on the show to explain the H2Bev drink I told you about. She's going to be able to explain much better than I why it is so wonderfully effective and why I, I love drinking it. I hope you will too. So we close out the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. We did that. That is our one wonderful, wonderful set of slides. I want another reason to go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. You can read all of our Why It Matters slides. Very, very, very helpful in capturing the show each week. So to close out the show, I want to thank you for listening to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time.
Can we talk truth about America?